Before we jump into the episode, here's a quick disclaimer about our content. The Remote Real Estate Investor Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended as investment advice. The views, opinions, and strategies of both the hosts and the guests are their own and should not be considered as guidance from Roofstock. Make sure to always run your own numbers, make your own independent decisions, and seek investment advice from licensed professionals. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of The Remote Real Estate Investor. I'm Michael Albaum, and today I'm joined by David Friedman, who is the co-founder and CEO of Knox Financial. And David's going to be talking to us today about anyone who's considering moving out of their primary and converting it into a rental, all the things they need to be aware of, and some of the revolutionary products that Knox Financial is putting out to help assist with that process. So let's get into it. Hey, really quickly, everyone, before we get into today's episode, I wanted to give a shout out to the Roofstock Academy and encourage everyone to come check us out at roofstockacademy.com. It is a one-stop shop for investor education. Whether you're just getting started or you're scaling up a crazy big portfolio, we probably got something for you. The Academy consists of both on-demand lectures, access to private Slack forums, and dedicated one-on-one coaching sessions, depending on which program you opt to leverage. Come check us out at roofstockacademy.com. We look forward to seeing you in there. David, welcome to the show, man. Thanks so much for taking the time to, to come on and hang out with me. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks. Oh, of course. So I know a little bit about your background. I know a little bit about your company. But for those of our listeners who are just joining us and maybe don't know the name David Friedman, can you give them a little bit of background, who you are, where you come from, and what is it you're doing in real estate today? Sure. Uh, so my name is David Friedman. Uh, I'm originally from New York, but I live in the Boston area. I am uh, the father of three kids, the husband of one woman. Um, uh, <laughs> Important to clarify. <laughs> <laughs> Just make sure everybody uh, got, wasn't wor- wondering. I'm a skier. I'm a cyclist. I like to hike. Uh, I like it when I uh, swim in a natural body of water as often as possible. Love it. Uh, uh, other than that, uh, what am I doing today? Um, so I'm a CEO and uh, one of the founders here at Knox Financial, and uh, we are trying to change how homeowners build wealth. When you move, you have the best investing opportunity of your lifetime, which is to keep that home as a long-term investment. And we've built Knox around making that investment opportunity possible for millions of families. David, that's awesome. And it's funny because it's something we talk a lot about at the Roostock Academy about how so many landlords became like accidental landlords. So tell us a little bit about A, why you think it is so advantageous for folks to keep their rental property, to keep their, their primary home as a rental property. And what is Knox doing to help facilitate that transition for them? Sure. So um, it's not why we think. We're a data company. The data just tells you the story. So uh, when, before we launched Knox, uh, I lived a life experience. Uh, and then I, well, I'll tell you the experience. And I'll tell you that the data supports that I'm like in the majority. I'm just a normal dude, which is, <laughs> so when I got engaged to my wife, who I mentioned earlier, um, just the one wife, just one. And, and it wasn't random. Like we didn't just like, you know, I didn't arrive in the mail, right? Like, so, like we, we dated and stuff. So, uh, we get engaged one day again, it wasn't random. Um, and, uh, <laughs> uh, we realized we have too much stuff to, to fit in her place or my place. We need to buy a bigger place. So we go and do that. And I go to put my twenties bachelor pad on the market for sale. And I think to myself, this is the, the worst decision uh, I've ever made. What am I doing? Why am I selling the best investment I've uh, ever had? 
So just the math, I'd put down $100,000 when I bought that property. And I was going to turn that $100,000 10 years later into $350,000 when I sold it. And I'd never, nice. ever in my life made that much money on any investment. Um, and I know that is in the south end of Boston, which is a downtown neighborhood, if you're not familiar with the city of Boston. And I knew that the value was going to keep going up. I said, all right, I'm going to turn this into a, an investment property. I'm going to keep it as a rental. And um, at the time, I was building another software company uh, that made software for real estate brokerages. And I thought, I know enough people who do this professionally. I can, I can figure this out. I can turn this home into a rental. And I thought about all the things I have to do. And it gave me a headache. Okay, I probably have to refi. I need new insurance. Um, I have to find a renter. I probably need to open up a new bank account and probably a credit card to make sure my expenses are really like walled off from like when I, you know, take my wife out to dinner. Um, all that stuff. And I was like, all right, screw it. And I sold it. So four years later, that same property sold again. The new owners only held it for four years. And they sold it for another $200,000 more than I had sold it to them for. And I saw this because Zillow sent me this evil email about it. Um, and, uh, when I saw that, I, I I was like, Oh my gosh, somebody stole $200,000 from me. I was going to keep that property as an investment. What the heck did I do here? And and I'm, I'm a kind of guy who likes to make fun of myself. And I told all my friends that I'd made this huge investing mistake and they all said, Oh, same exact thing happened to me. I, and they, you know, it doesn't matter. I own this home in Seattle. I own this in Brooklyn. I lived in DC. I lived in Houston. And everybody said, yeah, every time I search that home on Zillow, I get depressed. And I said, <laughs> yeah, this is exactly, this is my life, right? So um, I'm a data nerd. So we pulled the data and we learned two things in the data. First of all, this is true for the vast majority of homes in America. If you um, look back, we look back 10, 20, 30 years, 40 years, you take the average home in America and you index it to Case Shiller and you can't look back much further than that because Case Schiller didn't exist. Uh, you know, Case and Schiller had to invent it. Um, Chip Case actually was down the road here in Wellesley. Uh, good guy. Um, uh, you look at the data and every – the vast majority of homes in America, when people move out of them, if they keep them as long-term investments, not only are they great investments, they vastly outperform public markets. All right? So <laughs> you index that home with some very – I shouldn't say very – with some – conservative leverage, right? So the nice thing about real estate is it allows the average person to get a leverage return, which you can't get in the public markets. So um, when you index that home with some mortgage on it, not a crazy mortgage, just some mortgage on it, to and the performance of that principle to that same principle invested in the public markets, the real estate absolutely um, uh, clobbers the public market. So that moment when you move, these people have this opportunity, we figured out, to have own a better investment than the alternatives they could do with their, their down payment, oh, excuse me, with the, uh, the principal there. And then the next question is, do they have the money for the down payment of the next home? Is this transaction possible? And the data shows, once again, that the vast majority of families in that home upgrade, when they move from, say, the first or second home they've ever owned into a, their second or third primary residence, do have more than enough equity and or savings to uh, make the down payment on their new home and not sell the home they're moving out of. So it's so a long way of answering your question. I don't think this is a, this is a great investment. I, the data says this is a fantastic investment, and we are in the business of showing people how it's done and and making it possible for them. And we've created some lending products around it and a whole bunch of other services. So that's how we do it. That's awesome. So getting back to what you said a moment ago, and and talking about your own personal story, you were saying that in order to convert 
if you wanted to keep your initial place as a rental, you would have had to refinance, get new insurance, yada, yada, yada. Was the purpose of the refinance to grab that equity for the new down payment because you didn't have that savings in cash? Uh, for a lot of people. So I, I was in a very lucky position. I had just you know, created a new family with my, my fiance, soon wife, and we pooled resources and had enough to make the down payment without having to sell or refi the old home. But uh, Got it. Uh, the other thing is I had actually lived that home for a while. I bought it in my 20s and lived in it for a decade. If you look at the, the, the holding patterns of people who buy homes in their 20s, that's actually a pretty long hold. Um, and when you, when, you, when you hold a home for that long, it's very common for people to have an awful lot of equity, but also that their financial position has changed. Right, so that marriage to my wife is, is is a common change in financial position. The amount of W two in the in the household went, you know, more than double because my my wife's a successful woman. Um, but also, like we can combine our savings. She at one point had owned a home prior to meeting, but before we met, she didn't anymore. She'd sold that, so she she had a down payment. Um, so there's all sorts of reasons why one's financial position position might change. Um, but there's uh, the longer you're holding that home that you're living in, the more likely you are to have plenty of equity in that uh, in that property that you can tap. Makes total sense. And how do you chat with people around? Because I know you said in the vast majority of instances, it like it makes sense for people, assuming they have the down payment, like keeping the home as a rental or as a long-term investment. What about everyone out there that says, you know what, David, my monthly mortgage is five grand a month. I use 20% down and my home is only going to rent for 3,500. Am I going to be in the hole 1500 bucks a month? Like, how does that make sense? Um, that doesn't make sense. So, uh, <laughs> so we walk people through this math all the time. We build proprietary investment analysis software, uh, if you have a $5,000 a month mortgage and then you got to add taxes, insurance, maintenance, uh, you know, allowance for vacancy, all that on top of that, and you're only going to make $3,500 a month in rent, we would not recommend you put that home on our platform. There are, I would say, uh, some edge cases, like some people are looking for tax advantages and some people are looking for, uh, there's markets like, um, you know, I can look at the Austin market or let's take Tampa. So Tampa set the, the curve for the fastest growing market last in 12 month, in a 12 month look back at, um, uh, in the last year, prices are going up 30% a year. So if you're losing 1500 bucks a month over 12 months, um, that's 18 grand. If the home went up in value 100 grand in that year, that's not a bad trade-off. The question is, can you shoulder that? Or one of the things right. we do is we offer a sort of specialized flavor of a home equity line of credit where you can actually tap the home's equity over time to cover that negative cash flow. Um, so this is part of the alchemy we do with people is can we make this property – uh, not impact your day-to-day -day spending habits or your quality of life while keeping it and realizing the the benefits of owning that property. If it was net negative cash flow by that much, uh, it might not work. That's a pretty rare scenario, though. If you have a $5,000 a month mortgage and $3,500 in, in income potential, there's something weird going on in that local market. We rarely see misalignment in numbers uh, that large. In fact, it's usually the other way around. It's usually that we see $3,500 a month in carrying costs and $5,000 a month in rent projected. That's a, that's a pretty standard scenario on our platform. Love it. So talk to us a little bit about what the platform does and how it all works. Sure. So uh, you, put your, you sign up your home for the platform. Um, and first of all, we, we package everything into uh, one simple success fee. So we don't charge you for a, um, uh, to place a tenant. We don't charge you to collect rent. We don't charge you for renewals. We don't charge you for legal. None of that. Uh, 
before it comes on the platform, I should have mentioned, we're going to help you tap that equity. So uh, we might be uh, writing what we call a keep loan. So that's a that's our own lending product that helps you tap the equity in your home in a flexible way. It's kind of like a HELOC, but you know if you sign a HELOC um, before you move out, and you move out, you're technically violating the paperwork you just signed. So right. we we've got a uh, sort of like a HELOC that well we don't mind if you move out, or even if you have already moved out. So we can give you a second lien, flexible line of credit against a property you're, you're no longer living in, which is a okay. hard product to find. Um, so. We can get some of that equity and turn it into the down payment on the new home, use it for prep work, or just keep it for uh, riding out the ups and downs of cash flow. That's fine. And then we're going to turn that property into a passive investment. So we're going to put a tenant in there, collect the rent on your behalf into your account in our system, pay out your expenses. And if the tenant has a problem, they're going to call us and we're going to deal with it. So we're basically doing um, the financial side of things. The, we're also going to find the right insurance. That's important. So risk mitigation is incredibly important. Um, our, our insurance team is going to find you the right policy because the policy you had when you lived in it don't work no more. That's a homeowner's policy, you know, landlord's policy, and uh, you know the Knox Insurance Services division of our company is going to put that in place. And so, what does that all cost someone? Because I mean, it's like it. Well, you said though yeah. you don't charge for rent collection. I mean, you don't charge for like it's mind boggling because yeah. that doesn't exist anywhere on the marketplace. Right. And anyone who invests in rental property will tell you the same. So, what do you charge it? It's got to yeah. be something. Yeah, we work on it. Yeah, we work on a success fee. It's 10% of rent that actually passes through our system. So it's kind of like a, a payments model. It's kind of like working with Stripe where like some percentage of the payments that go through Stripe, they keep. We do the same thing. So we collect a dollar of rent. We keep a dime. And then in full disclosure, we make our money off of the market for the financial products that we do. So like um, uh, our loans are bought by third parties and they pay us for that. Our landlord policies are we're representing larger carriers. We're not an insurance carrier. So representing, say, uh, travelers or somebody like that, they pay us for that, just like they would pay any insurance broker. And then also some of our clients are actually a decent percentage of them uh, work with our lending team to not only tap the equity in the home they're moving out of, but also find the mortgage for the home they're moving into. So that's another way that we make money. So we make money as an insurance brokerage selling um, or, or brokering uh, normal mortgage transactions as well. I love it, David. This is so cool. Like anyone who's watching this and see me like getting giddy, smiling all ear to ear. So question for you, do you only work with folks that have moved out of their primary residence or do you have a market for just your traditional landlord that owns property that wants to utilize your services? So we do work with traditional landlords. Um, we're kind of picky, uh, to be honest. So your home actually has to pass an inspection by us. Uh, now it's a virtual inspection, so you don't have to like you know open up your door, but you're gonna have to walk us around, and we're gonna need to take a look at the foundation, and we're gonna need to take a look at the, the major appliances and systems. So we we are careful about which homes we actually accept into our platform because we find that a lot of uh, traditional rental units are um, well, they're expensive. They're expensive to operate, and uh, we would generally not recommend that our clients keep those units as long-term investments. So we look at them and, and tell our clients very honestly, this is a good investment or it's not. And and if it's not right now, we try to advise them on what investments need to be made in order to turn that home into a, uh, a good long-term property investment. So absolutely happy to talk to any landlords out there who are like, oh, I like what Knox is doing and I want to tap my equity and all that good stuff. Um, just be aware that we, we, uh, we don't, you can't just sign up any home uh, to the Knox platform. It's it's not Airbnb, for example. You can't just come along and put a home up there. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Okay. Well, I mean, in your experience, what are some of those things that you 
have seen or advise folks against in terms of what makes a great rental property? If someone's listening to this and it's like, oh man, I, wa- I totally want to sign up. Um, what are some things that they should be aware of that they can do proactively? Oh, gosh. So, uh, the, the first thing I would say is uh, deferred maintenance. You know, we're, we're not big fans of deferring maintenance way out into the future. You know, invest in the property now, make it livable. It'll get better rent. You'll be happier <laughs> as, as an owner. Fewer surprises. Um, yeah, that that's absolutely bullet number one. Um, the next thing is, uh, I should have started with this: health and safety. Just like you know, we will absolutely we'll actually take properties and send them off our platform if the owner won't authorize uh, a repair that we think impacts health and safety. That's just not a that that that's a there's no. There's no exceptions to that for, for us. Um, the next is, yeah. So if you've got like really old floors, like smudged walls, cracked windows, things like that, even, you know, definitely better off doing that uh, as soon as possible and um, ahead of time. And, and, and certainly as they come up, um, you know, we had a client who said, you know, I bought this property 15 years ago. At that time they told me it needed a new roof. They were wrong. I've patched it five times. It's, it works. And we're like, uh, <laughs> No, we're going to, like, that's, that's just, it doesn't, it doesn't really work. work. Like, <laughs> I, I know you, you know, I know you've had this, this, um, this lucky experience with all the patching you've been done. That's not how we would want to, to run things. Cause really what's going to happen is one day the people in the, the, the top unit in that building are going to go on vacation and they're going to come back and there's going to be like, you know, a hundred thousand dollars in damage to the building and, uh, You've you've just been lucky. You've been on the you know the edge case here. Uh, so that's yeah, yeah. that's the deferred maintenance is obviously number one. Um, the next thing is uh, if it is a landlord owned property, who are the tenants and what have you done to make them happy? Uh, sometimes uh, <laughs> they're just unhappy. Like the tenants are unhappy with what's gone on, and not only that, they're probably on, like what we find all the time when we inherit properties from from. Uh, landlords who've been self-managing the property is that they, the, the tenants are underpaying rent. The tenants know it too. And then you go in there and say, okay, we're going to turn this into a performing asset for you. And uh, the, the tenants sort of balk at the uh, the rate that they should be paying. And so we try to like... The market yeah, rent. Like, oh, you're just totally unaware of what market rent is. And the major mistake that's made by so many uh, so many owners is they become friends with their tenants. And, you know, mm. let's be honest, money is a touchy subject for most of us. So going in there and saying, yeah, yeah I know you've been living in this piece of property that I own. And I think um, there's sort of a parental uh, aspect to being a landlord. Like you're putting a shelter over somebody's head and you're responsible for that shelter. So it's kind of a, a, you know, a little bit of, of, of a parental uh, role you're playing. And now you have to go in and ask them for more money. So you're, you're touching on these two touchy, you know, these are two touchy subjects. Uh, so yeah, we look at these portfolios like hey, deferred maintenance. Um, you've had tenants in there a long time; they're not paying market rent. Oh, and they're month to month on their leases. Oh yeah, you signed a lease originally a long time ago, but now you haven't raised rent, and the lease is like totally lapsed. And now we want to go put those tenants through like, hey, we're going to make this official. We're going to put you to market rent. Oh, but by the way, we've got the owner refusing to upgrade the place and, and make it uh, nicer. Uh, we avoid those situations. We we actively avoid them. That sounds like a losing recipe. Yeah, and you know, if you look at the let's, let's look at the um, uh, the exact opposite: institutional owners. 
right? So you look at the guys like uh, Tricon or, or you know, pick your favorite. The first thing they do is go in and renovate almost every single unit, and they 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 also they they standardize them. Um, the other thing I could go on. The other thing that uh, landlords do is they you know they when they get in they try to find like cheap units, and all those guys. The, the big institutionals are actually looking for premium units. They want um, they want families that move in and and stay stay and plant roots and send their kids to school and care about the property because they get to know the neighbors and they want to plant the flower bed. And, you know that that's the tenant that they're going for versus hey, how can I um, I want to own eight units that are all you know half the price of the average in the market and turn over every other year. Um, right. Yeah. It's a, it's, yeah, it's a totally different investment thesis overall. Totally. Yeah. Um, David, so if someone is, is right on this transition point, what makes Knox a better alternative to just a local property manager? Why would someone reach out to uh, you all? Yeah. So we use local property managers to be clear. So um, we don't actually employ, uh, actually, we have one guy on, on W2 who like, you know, carries a hammer around. So um, the vast majority of what we do is local maintenance, right? Uh, it, you know, we, we, we operate in seven states. Like there's, you know, there's no way, well, it's not no way, but like we do not have all those people on our staff. Um, so, uh, the, you know, with us, um, as far as that goes, like we are using local people and there is actually no difference between us and the local person to, to swing a hammer or drive in a screw. When you look at all the... Uh, the, the pieces it takes to make this investment work. Um, Knox is providing it all under one roof in a way that aligns our incentives with the owners. And we're actually putting uh, risk behind it. So we're actually putting our own risk on the table along with yours, in, in for example, with the lending. So we're making it possible for you to, to access your equity to make the investment work. Uh, um, and we're also doing, you know, we're finding the insurance, we're doing the, the bookkeeping, uh, making sure you're, you're deducting things on your taxes properly. I could go on and on. So um, uh, I mean, there's a vast difference. <laughs> it sure sounds like it. Yeah. And so what states do you all operate in? Uh, Massachusetts, uh, Georgia, Texas, um, we're in three major cities in Texas, actually, and then uh, Florida and Arizona. Love it. And I should say Massachusetts, we also, I forgot. So, so the Boston market also includes Southern New Hampshire and all of Rhode Island. Okay. Okay. Perfect. When are you coming to California? That's a great question. Um, it's on our list. I'll tell you, it's, uh, uh, we, we actually, to be honest, expand by Metro. So when we, okay. when we expand into Texas, we did, you know, we now done three cities so Dallas, Houston, and Austin. And then with Austin, San Antonio is basically, a first cousin market. So we do San Antonio as well, just sort of consider that the whole the same media market. So California would be like, Hey, let's pick a city in California. Let's expand into there. But as we do it, we're going to get the licensure for real estate insurance and lending in the state. And then we'd probably go from, you know, let's just say we started with, you know, LA, we then do San Diego and then the Bay area yep. and then Sacramento and, and the, you know, the major markets of California. Love it. Well, I know you'll have a waiting list whenever you ultimately do get out here. My name will be right there on it. Appreciate it. No, of course. That's awesome. So for all the folks out there that can't take advantage of Knox, what are some things that they can be doing, looking out for as they're looking to make this transition or considering the transition? 
do they have to go piecemeal it together for themselves or are there other Knox like folks out there that you could recommend? No, you have to piecemeal it. That's, that's like the, <laughs> the big part of it is, uh, you know, what we are doing is putting a lot of this under one roof and then the lending is, is, is sort of our unique sauce because it is a loan that you can't really get elsewhere, but you can't get elsewhere. <laughs> what are some things they should look out for? Um, you know, I own several pieces of investment property myself. Only one of them did I not have to make uh, some cash investments in in the first year or two. So the first thing I always tell people is just be aware there's like a period of turning that property into investment. Even if you've lived in it, uh, somebody else is going to move in your property and they're going to they're going to use the space in a different way, and they're going to discover things that are not uh, up to 100, percent and they're going to call say us and say, Hey, this, there's an outlet that doesn't work. And they're like, what outlet that didn't work? Well, it was behind a bed when you were living there. Now they're, it's where their desk is, where they're working from home. Right. So, um, be prepared for some upfront maintenance costs that is totally, uh, to be expected. Um, uh, and, uh, tenants often will just pick up the phone or, you know, go on, on online and say, Hey, this is broken and expect it to be fixed. Whereas you, when you were living in the house, might have just lived with the, uh, you know, that problem, whatever it was for a while and said, I'll deal with it later. Just expect that there's going to be a few things that are going to happen. that are going to come along. Yeah. Um, it's very normal for a property to be cash flowing less in years one and two than it is uh, down the road. That, that's the, that's the one surprise that I, I try to make people aware of ahead of time. That's a great, a great tip. Something that I heard uh, is is kind of a good way to go about it too, is to actually go pay for like a home inspection as you would when you're selling or buying a piece of property as you're moving out to just see, hey, what are the issues that are going to be found? Because like you mentioned, you're not going to notice the outlet that's not working behind the bed. But the inspector, yeah. that, that's what they're looking for. Uh, man, if, if an inspector actually tested every outlet in the house, that would be one <laughs> yeah, okay. heck of an inspector. So here's what I'll say. So we do this this video in uh, intake of a home. So we, we actually collect 200 points of data. We get everything down to the year make and model of your dishwasher. So what 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 I recommend doing if you're doing this on your own is really go and look at all of the major things in your home. And there aren't that many, right? So every major appliance, every major system, the roof, the foundation, you know, a dozen things, right? Fridge, dishwasher, hot water heater, HVAC, things like that. And just look at when they're um how close they are to the end of their useful life right roof lasts 25 years foundation i mean a foundation if there's no cracks you're probably good hot water heater decade um and just on a piece of paper in a spreadsheet just put the name of everything the model number and and when the warranty runs out or, or or when it should expire right and you'll just get an idea of what is coming down the road and don't be afraid of that because remember, really, you're, you're investing in this for the long haul. You're investing in it because you think the home is going to keep going up in value every single year and, or, or over a long period of time, it's highly, highly likely to continue to go up in value. And because the rent's going to keep going up while your, your costs are fixed, inflation hedges, all those good reasons. Don't be afraid of it. Just be aware that those things are going to happen and um, say, okay, I am actually expecting in the next five years this extra $12,000 in, in expenses. And you just put that in the back of your mind and say, okay, here we go. I'm done. And if you're really good, earmark it and say, okay, I'm going to have the hot water heater replaced in nine and a half years instead of 10. And I'm not going to wait for it to like spring a hole and have water all over the basement. 
that would be that would be the uh, the plan I would I would make. The last thing I would say is um, the other thing I would say is if you're doing this on your own, uh, be really careful about your tenants. Um, you know, do the background checks. Don't just trust mm-hmm. your instincts. Um, look at what their employment is, not just how much they make. What do they do for a living? Um, uh, there's a big difference between having um, uh, uh, people who have non-steady employment versus, I don't know, a police officer who's in the union and has incredibly steady infl- employment. So d- don't rush into the, the tenant selection. It's a little bit of work. But again, if you're doing it yourself, set yourself up for the long haul. Pick somebody who you think is going to be around a while, who has very steady employment. Next year, when you raise the rent, Three, five, this market seven, ten percent. Um, they're they're going to be able to afford it because they're going to get a they're going to get raises yeah. too. Yeah, no, that's such a good point. I was just on a podcast this morning and someone asked me like what the biggest mistake was, and I said exactly that: rushing into tenant decisions because you're like, ah, oh, crap, I got to get these expenses paid for with the rent, and you can end up in painting yourself into a corner very easily. Yeah, sometimes our team will t- tell an owner, "Hey, I have an application. I can show it to you. I don't think you want to take this yeah. tenant." Now, this does mean that I don't have I don't have a backup for you today, but, uh, you know, waiting another 15, 30 days, it could be to, for, the, for somebody else better is our recommendation. And here's why. And we have that conversation with, with the customer um, and uh, I should say the owner. And, and, and hopefully they are. Um, they've got the long. Yeah, view. no, that's great. That's great. David, one final question for you. Okay, no, two final questions for you. One's like an informational one. One's a real question. What are your thoughts on home warranty? <sighs> what are my thoughts on home warranty? That's a great question. Um, we hear more complaints than uh, we hear praise is, is my answer to that. Okay. I've never bought okay. one myself. And all, right. and, um, uh, all that said, uh, we have considered offering one that we create. Um, so... That is, you know, I, I like it. I like the concept of a home warranty. I think the execution for most of the major home warranty companies, as uh, anecdotally, has been is is uh, less than doesn't live up. Less than. Yeah. Thank you. Well said. <laughs> yeah, perfect, David. For people that want to learn more about you, reach out, find out more about Knox. Where can they do that? Uh, com. Easy enough. Well, David, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate you coming on and can't wait to see you out in California, man. Pleasure. Thanks. Appreciate your time, Michael. No, you got it. Take care. All right, everyone. That was our episode. A big thank you to David for coming on. Super, 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 super cool stuff. Uh, after we finished recording, he and I were chatting a little bit more about some of the products that he's working on, and there is a lot more to come, so stay tuned. If you are thinking about moving out of your primary or selling it, definitely consider keeping it as a rental, and potentially Knox Financial might be able to help you out with that. As always, thanks so much for watching, and we look forward to seeing you on the next one. Happy investing.